You're listening to the Money Shop Podcast, episode number 14. Today, I'm going to talk to you all about traveling and managing your investments while you're overseas, which, you know, should be fun. You're listening to the Money Shop Podcast with your host, Damien Fogg, making personal finance and investing easy to understand, less intimidating, and even bordering on fun. So as quite a few of you probably know, I'm currently traveling at the moment, and this episode is coming to you from Phuket in Thailand. It's currently absolutely pissing it down, so I've got nothing else to do other than sit indoors and slowly melt, which is unpleasant. Especially as I've had to turn the air conditioning off, so you don't just hear that instead of me talking. I know, don't you feel sorry for me? Anywho, today's episode, I just wanted to briefly talk about sort of the reason behind my travels, the real reason, rather than the flippant one, and also just cover off what investing I'm still doing, how I'm going about it, and the pros and cons of it, any issues I've come up against. Just so you can see a little bit of behind the scenes from my investing. And in case any of you ever decide to do it yourself, at least give you a bit of a heads up what you're going to come up against. So this trip to Phuket... There's a place called Soi Thai Yad. I've probably just butchered the name of that, but it's effectively, it's sports road in Phuket. So there's about four different Thai boxing training camps and gyms. There's a couple of CrossFit gyms. It's just full of foreigners. So Australians mostly, a lot of British, a bunch of Germans for some reason. I mean, I guess Germans are allowed to travel too. I just... I'm always surprised when I see Germans on holiday. I don't know why. Anywho, so most people that come out here tend to come out for quite a while to just exclusively do the training. And I am now one of those cool kids. I've been talking about doing this trip for about 12 years, ever since I was in university and first really got into martial arts training. I looked into it and there were were only a couple of gyms back then. I think Dragon and Tiger were the only two gyms out here then. It's now expanded quite a lot since then. But because I'm a basically a fucking idiot, because the flight is so long, I always had in my head, if I was going to do it, I need to do it for a good month or two. No being sensible and thinking, well, I'll go try it for a week, see how it is. Nah, bollocks to that. Go big or go home, apparently, was the attitude. So I always wanted to go for a decent length of time. And as you can imagine, going on holiday for a month or two is kind of hard to just fit into normal daily life. So I've not always worked for myself. I've worked for lots of other companies in the past that getting a month off work, yeah, probably while doable, it's not exactly straightforward. And so I've always put it off. I've always thought, yeah, next time, when I'm next in between jobs or when I become self-employed, I'll do it. Then when I did become self-employed, I just got a little bit busy and the whole setting up a business and all that crap takes up quite a bit of time. So I just never really got round to doing it. So I finally had a quiet word with myself and thought, fuck it, you've got to do it now or never. And so in April this year, I was planning to come out for just a couple of weeks, stop being an idiot and decide only to do it for three months. So I was just going to come out for a couple of weeks, give it a try, see what I thought, and then go from there. 
as luck would have it, sort of the day after I'd made that decision, I got an email off my the managing agents for the property I was renting, that big balcony that I've been sending pictures of, to people of, and it was an email to say the landlords were selling the property I was in, and so they wanted my ass out of it. Which kind of sucked, because I moved in there in October, and we've had nothing but shitty weather. So as it was starting to get to summer, and the days were starting to get a bit brighter and hotter, I wanted to use that balcony and hot tub and all that shit. But such is life, silver linings and all that crap. I took it as an opportunity, a sign from the gods as you will, that now's the time to go bugger off to Thailand and go training. So book myself for a month here, because you want to get a 30-day visa from the UK, and that's what I'm here to do. So the main purpose of the next, well, three weeks now, I guess possibly two weeks by the time you guys listen to this episode, I don't know how many episodes behind I am, but the plan is to train twice a day, fairly intensive stuff, see if I can fit in as much work as I can around that, between naps mostly, and avoiding being outside in the heat, just to get it out of my system. If nothing else, if I end up just getting injured and thinking that was shit, that was the worst thing ever, it's been on my bucket list, whatever you want to call it, for the past decade plus, so at least it's done now. The other little side goal, though, is actually to see how well I handle properly working remotely. Now, I've always, always, for the past, what, three years or so, I've worked for myself pretty much from home exclusively. And I've done the odd disappear to a coffee shop to work and all that shit, but I'm just not very good at it. I don't like laptops. They're a little bit too small and awkward. And I'm obsessed with having as many screens as possible. It might be because I'm coming from a trading background. Anything less than two screens and I just feel like I've got nothing to look at. So it's already proven to be a bit of a pain in the ass to only have to work from a laptop. So, for example, editing of this podcast. Now, I don't do the main editing, but I usually have a listen through it first before I send it over to my editor. Editor? Is that what you call yourself, Scott? Publisher? Producer? Yeah, producer, that sounds better. So yeah, I'd usually have a quick listen through, maybe cut out the obvious fuck-ups, there's usually quite a few, and then ping it across. And the way I usually do that is have it on two screens so I can see where I'm going and then email, whatever. It's just easier when there's a big screen involved. Not quite sure why I'm babbling on about that shit now. What was my point? Oh yeah. So, if I can actually do a decent amount of work, and so far so good, I've got a couple of people mortgages while I've been out here, I've done quite a few one-to-one client calls while I've been here. I'm recording a podcast eventually, and I'm mapping out. The plan was to record, but I'm not sure if I'm actually going to get around to doing that bit, but I'm certainly mapping out the courses that I want to produce over the next few months. If I end up being quite good, then I might stay and carry on doing this homeless, digital nomad, wandering fucker. Could be fun, could be awful might just get really lonely really quickly and I might just run home back to Cambridge or anywhere else in the UK. So if there's any offers for where I should come and live, let me know. But as a lot of you know, the whole EP investor and Fog Financial, while it is a very important part of what I do, it's probably not the main income generating activity that I do. I still make most of my money from my own investments. So that's not really something I'm willing to to take a four-week holiday from. And yeah, it's probably because I'm a little bit work-obsessed, but whatever. I enjoy it. I quite like doing it. So while I've been over here, I have been finalising the purchase of two properties, one in America, one in the UK. 
I've been rebalancing my portfolio. If you've read my book, if not, why not? But if you have, you'll know that I talk about rebalancing once a year for most people because I'm a, I've got a lot more spare time, let's be honest. I do mine probably twice a year. So we're coming up to that time, June, July-ish is usually when I do my rebalancing. So I've just been looking through, researching different funds, where I might want to swap some money around, and then chopping and changing stuff. All very entertaining, all very research-focused. So I just wanted to kind of talk through some of the issues I've been having with doing that sort of stuff. Now, the first one, from a fund management and asset allocation, portfolio rebalancing, all that good stuff, the only real issue I've had with it, because let's face it, when I'm back home, does it matter? I don't exactly go down to the London Stock Exchange to do all this shit, so I do it all on the internet anyway. So being in Phuket made absolutely bugger all difference. The only downside for me has been that lack of a big ass monitor so that I can have sort of my ISA open on one screen, fund research open on another screen, maybe a spreadsheet on a third screen so I can just look at everything all at once instead of having to flick through screens. It's a hassle rather than, you know, it's not really stopped me from doing anything. It just pisses me off a little bit. So it takes a little bit of getting used to, but it's been very doable. And given that this is probably the most active I am with my, certainly the ISA and the fund management and the stocks and shares, all that stuff, I take my own advice so I don't dick about with it all of the time. So given that this would happen maybe twice a year, I think it's fairly doable to travel be location independent and still manage a decent sized portfolio. So that's a tick in the box for being a homeless nomad. Now the UK property purchase, yeah, a little bit more difficult. I use the same solicitor, well, I have previously used the same solicitor all the time. She pisses me off every time I try and work with her though, because she's always, I mean, it's good in a solicitor, I suppose, but she's very by the book which sounds dodgy when I put it like that. But, you know, just things like every single time I've used her, and sometimes it's been like a month in between using her, she's demanded I do the whole client identity, address, identification, all that stuff. And you just think, ah, come on, love. It's the same email address. It's the same forwarding correspondence address, all that stuff. Maybe just reuse it from the last one. But whatever. It frustrates me, but I guess it's not the end of the world. The mortgage provider I'm using doesn't have my solicitors on their panel of solicitors. So I'm having to use somebody else. So at the moment, I'm just waiting for them to be instructed so I can then go through all of the rigmarole and hoop jumping to send them my ID and verification of address, all that shit. So for the most part, it's been straightforward. I've applied for the mortgage. I've got the mortgage all while abroad. I... Basically, my, my entire life is online nowadays, so there's not much in the way of paperwork needed. So that's all been relatively straightforward and quite smooth sailing. From the property itself, I've used people locally. So this is one of the properties up in the northwest. I've used people I know locally and contracts I've used in the past to go and view the property for me. I know pretty much what's going to be involved with it anyway. So I've just used them as a second pair of eyes. Is it a second pair if I've never laid eyes on it? an outsourced pair of eyes, let's call them, to just go and have a look. They've sent me a shitload of pictures and videos and all that stuff. And I've talked through on the phone and actually on Skype while they were on site, just so I can say, look, these are the plans I've got for it. This is what I'm thinking of doing. Is that doable? Will it fit there? 
and you know we've walked through that way so i think that possibly is something i'm able to do because of my experience and knowledge and the building without sounding too big headed about the whole thing just the fact that i've done it a shitload of times i feel confident doing that whether or not i would feel as confident if i hadn't gone through all of this stuff previously i'm not sure but it's definitely doable you could definitely use somebody else you could use potentially if you're buying from one agent you could use a letting agent from another agency so you've not got any bias there and get them to go around view it and if your intention is to obviously rent it out get their opinion on any works that might need doing before they could rent it so it's definitely doable to outsource that sort of stuff the other thing i'm doing which just occurred to me when i was talking then is i've just found a new tenant for one of my other rental properties it was a little bit annoying that one so this one's a few of you might remember i'm buying two properties well no i'm not i already own one i'm buying the one next door to try and open up the parking situation for both houses at the moment there's a shared driveway so nobody really has access to it so it's a little bit hard to rent this one because there is no parking and there's no real parking on the road or close by so it is a bit of a hassle so when it does become vacant it does tend to stick on the market for quite a while but then luckily the tenants so far when they do move in it's a really nice little cottage tends to stay for quite a while the plan by buying next door is to open it up so i can offer parking to both people which in theory will make it much more rentable so that's the plan anyway but with that one that i'm tenanting so i've had my agents doing all of the viewings and finding tenants for me i've had a couple of conversations emails predominantly about oh we found a tenant these are the pros and cons of them do you want me to go ahead with it or not for the most part i'm fairly relaxed who moves in there as long as they pass all the credit checks so that's been fairly straightforward no issues there one of the issues i did have though is i've just replaced the boiler and again using a contractor i've used before in the past but just stupid things like they because they're relatively old school they like to post the gas safety certificate so i had to get them to post it to my office address and then get them the staff there to scan it in so i could email it across to my managing agent because I always like to have a copy myself. I'd rather not just get it sent direct to the agents. One of the slight issues, though, is they somehow managed to bugger something up that meant there was a gas leak in the house. So, fortunately, the agents were pretty good. They spotted it and managed to get it all fixed and sorted. So that's good. So certainly managing a portfolio of properties from a distance, I'd say almost certainly is doable for pretty much everyone. The crux of it is having a decent managing agent in the area that you trust. But if you've got that, then most of the time it is just emails, the occasional phone call to stay up to date. And I just demand inspection images and videos for whenever they go and do some checks. Other than that, I don't really go and view my own properties with people in anymore. I don't really talk to the tenants directly anymore. I used to, so... It's a step in the right direction by having decent agents in place. And to be honest, one of my agents is a little bit shit at that sort of stuff. So I need to chase them to get, when did you last go and view the place? Can I have all the pictures and the videos? Sometimes it does make me wonder if they've actually done it, which is why I keep on riding them to send me all the documentation. But I think they're now starting to get that I'm a bit of a pain in the arse, so they may as well just do the work for me. Okay, so that's, so what have we done? Managing a portfolio of shares and funds, pretty straightforward while abroad. Buying a property, a little bit more difficult. Doable, but you'd need trusted people on the ground, I think. 
managing a portfolio of properties that you already own and rent out, very doable, provided you've got a half decent agent. The other thing I'm doing is buying a house over in America. Now that one, because even when I was in the UK, it's obviously very remote. So other than the fact that there's a big time zone difference, so I think they're 10 hours behind where I am now. I'm six hours ahead of the UK. And I think, yeah, I think they're five. So I'm 11 hours difference. So that's a bit of a hassle, but I was never really talking to them on the phone that much anyway. It was all done through email. Now, the pain in the arse part that's happened, and some of you may have seen this already, is in America, when you're buying a property, some of the signatures for like the mortgage deed and the title and stuff like that, it needs to be notarized by a public notary. Seems like they're everywhere in America and it's not that big of a deal. In the UK, it's a bit of a hassle, but it's doable. I think I found two in Cambridge. There was one in London. You can go to embassies and get it done there randomly. And I think you can even post it somewhere else to get it notarized. Doesn't really make sense because I thought the whole point was they watch you sign it. But anywho, so the plan was to get all of that documentation signed before I left the UK and came over to Thailand. My title company in Ohio turned out to be just useless and they can't spell the, so they got my email address wrong and were sending me all the documents to sign to the wrong place. So basically, it meant while I was over here, I've had to try and find a notary that understands what the frig I'm talking about and then get them to come out, see me and get all the documentation signed. It was a bit of a hassle, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of chasing around to find out what they even call that in this country and figuring out who can do it and then liaising back with America to see if that would qualify for their purposes. But eventually managed to find it and it kind of worked out all right in the end. So it ended up costing me about 20, no, 30 pounds. And back in the UK, it was more likely to cost 70 to 100. So eh, can't complain too much about that one. Now what I've got to do though, is get all the documents scanned in which doesn't sound like it's that big of an issue, but you'd be surprised on a road that's famous for teaching people how to kick and knee people in the head. Not that many scanners around here. So I've yet to find the place I'm going to use to scan it. But I'm sure I'll figure that out. And then I've got to post the whole thing back over to America. And again, don't really know how the postal system works in Thailand just yet. So I might be trying to befriend the reception staff to figure out that shit. But for the most part, the process and the plan to buy the place in America hasn't really been that affected by being abroad. I guess it's just random hurdles that, to be fair, even in the UK, I had to look up where the nearest public notary was and figure out how that was going to work. It's a little bit more difficult in a new country, but it's not that big of a deal. So I think buying a place in America, and I guess that relates to buying a place anywhere else abroad, or remotely, I'd say is still quite doable whilst you're traveling. So all this is going into the box of, if I decide I like it, if I decide it works for me, then remaining a digital homeless hobo is a possibility. Now, the one thing that would probably put me off doing that is, weirdly, I am a bit of a nester. I like having my own space and my own stuff and things around me. I, in theory, I'm a massive minimalist. I love the idea of that. The reality is a little bit different. So I think 
for me, the biggest thing that I do miss is having my own office. Now, in a lot of places, you can set up serviced offices and co-working spaces and all that stuff. I've been to the co-working space over here and it was perfectly good. It was adequate. But again, it's still just working from a laptop and your tiny shitty little keyboard and all that stuff. I'm sure if I looked into it, I think I did find that there was a Regis office somewhere in not a million miles away in Phuket town, maybe, which is like 20 minutes moped scooter thing, which to be honest, I look ridiculous on, but whatever. So I'm sure if I was going to stay here longer term, I could get that set up and just buy a monitor, second monitor and hook it up to my laptop. And to be fair, that would probably make quite a big difference to me. But outside of the slight annoyance factor, I think the biggest thing is just having a group of people, a circle of friends that you actually get to hang out with and chat to. So I'm doing a lot of training, I'm doing quite a lot of CrossFit at Unit 27, if anyone ever comes over here, it's pretty fucking good. And I've done some training in Dragon Muay Thai, didn't really like that one. The other one I'm going to join next week is Tiger Muay Thai. Arr, I'm a tiger. Mostly so I can do that. So while I'm getting a couple of people that I'm friendly with and going out for lunch and dinners with, it's not the same as having your own group of mates around. So. At the moment, I'm still on the fence. I've got another three weeks left without changing any plans, but there is the potential for me to go on a quick visa run and stay out for another month. I'm, I'm leaning towards doing that just to give this a little bit experiment slightly longer. But either way, even if I don't, I'm pretty pleased with the way it's all panned out. Now, from a finances point of view, just because we may as well finish it off and talk about money, it's... The place I was living in Cambridge wasn't cheap, so my outgoings back home, I mean, I I am relatively cheap, so my biggest expense by a long-ass way was just the rent on the house I was living in, but I've pretty much managed to, so my rent was about £2,000 a month back home, and then everything else on top of that was probably another, I don't know, 1500 maybe? I mean, I'm saying maybe I know exactly the numbers, but there's no point getting too into the depths of it. So if my rough spending money each month was about three and a half grand a month, I told you I was quite cheap. So from a cost point of view, living out here, so I'm in a, a half decent, well, no, I'm in a decent hotel complex thing. And I've got my own private villa that's got a nice little balcony on the front. It's waterproof. Don't know if this is getting picked up on the microphone, but it's just started thundering, lightning and raining like an absolute bastard. So at least I know the place is watertight. But no, it is. It's a nice hotel. It's probably a four star. And I've got my own villa that's got like a lounge, kitchen area and all that. That plus all the food, plus all the training I'm doing is probably running me about 17, 1800 pounds for a month. Now I'm sure, well I know for a fact, I could do it for £1,000, just under about £950 a month with unlimited training, food, accommodation, everything. But I just thought, fuck it, I'm worth it. So I spunked a bit more and got a nicer place. And I guess that's one of the main reasons people like to do this whole digital, travelly, nomadic, wankery thing. It's the whole geo-arbitrage. Now I've used that for quite a while back in the UK, 
in a different way, kind of a stupid way to be honest, thinking about it, but I've lived in low rental yield areas and rented, and then I've bought properties in high rental yield areas and rented them out. So instead of putting £500,000 into a house in Cambridge, I've put £500,000 into rental properties up north that the profit I make from them pays for the rent in Cambridge and then makes me a profit on top still. So that's how I've done geo-arbitrage in the UK. Another way of doing that, and probably a more sensible way of doing that, is living in a cheap-as-fuck place, not Cambridge, because Cambridge ain't cheap. So if I'd have decided to move, even if I stayed local to Cambridge, if anyone knows it, somewhere like Soham or Peterborough, or where else is cheap? Wisbeach? I don't know. There's lots of places around that are a lot cheaper than Cambridge. So a two-bed place in Cambridge to rent probably, I don't know, 1,200 to 1,500 pounds. If you drive 20 minutes outside of it, you could get a two, three bed house for 700 quid a month. So I could have used, I could have been even smarter back home and used geo-arbitrage differently there. But on an international scale, I'm pretty much doing by the book here. So I'm earning money in an expensive country, the UK and America, I guess. And I'm spending my money in a cheap country, Thailand. So everything here is just, well, I say everything. Branded goods, for some reason, are really expensive out here. So I went to a shop, idly just wandering around, and perfume was like 120 quid. No idea why. To be fair, I don't know if it's 120 quid back home either, but it just struck me as very expensive. But anywho, the rest of the shit that I'm spending money on, food, training, accommodation, all of that, is very, very cheap. So a decent slap-up meal out here is going to cost me three, four pounds maybe at most. And that would be starters, drinks, main course. I haven't brought myself to doing dessert here yet because they look a bit funny. So from a, do I recommend this whole traveling thing? I think so far so good. I've been able to carry on doing my work as an investor while abroad. I'm just going to go wandering now to see if you can actually pick up how frigging horrible this weather is. So let's take you outside with me. Don't know if you've picked up any of that. If not, Scott, feel free to insert some rainy sounds. Well, since I've just got my microphone soaking wet, this might not work anymore. So I'll wrap up, just in case I'm talking to a soggy sponge. Yes, I would recommend doing this. and I do think it's possible as an investor. So for those people that are started investing now and they're thinking, well, longer term, I want to build up passive portfolio, passive income, so that I've got that freedom to live and move and do what I like. It's definitely doable and achievable for that. That whole plan was kind of something I was following, but never really had much inclination to actually live abroad. Now that I'm doing it, actually, I think it could be quite good fun. So if this is your goal, then keep listening to the podcast, keep paying attention, because it's definitely doable. And you can pretty much just follow what the hell I've done and you'll be in the same boat. So. On that note, I'm going to disappear. If it does sound like something fun that you want to do, feel free to get in touch. If you've got any recommendations of places I should go next, if you want to see a live from you name the country, let me know. Tell me which country I should try next. Um, fuck it. Might give it a go. 
I was going to try and say goodbye in Thai, but I realised I don't know it, so bye in Thai. So you just survived and hopefully enjoyed the money shot from Damien Fogg. If you just can't help yourself and you want even more, head over to theepinvestor.com forward slash podcast for the show notes, links to whatever shit he just talked about in this episode, possibly some exclusive content about cool finance stuff and even maybe a free pony. 